421. 421 is brought to you by Crush Media Co., a marketing and communications agency that helps brands maximize their social content production, publishing, and engagement practices. Crush is where brand content and social strategy meet. Cause he gets up in the morning And he goes to work at nine And he comes back home at 5.30 Gets the same train every time Legendary producer Shel Talmy has been at the helm of some of the most exciting and influential recordings in rock and roll history. Talmy, an American living in London in the pre-dawn of the British invasion, found himself in the right place at the right time to discover and produce such iconic acts as The Kinks and The Who. The versatility of his production style has resulted in collaborations with such artists as Manfred Mann, Chad and Jeremy, The Small Faces, The Pentangle, and David Bowie, among others. He's a well-respected man about town, doing the best thing so conservatively. The first thing I wanted to uh, ask you was, what got you interested in music? Uh, you know, was there was there a moment early in life that uh, was there a record or something or an artist? You mean the moment? No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know, you grow up and you grow up with with music. I've always liked music, and uh, there was no uh, I don't I don't think there's any epiphany that said, "Oh yeah, this is the lightning struck." Here I am involved <laughs> with music. No, I I uh, I like I've always liked music. Uh, I I do remember that the 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 first band that really got me interested in R&B and blues was uh, G by the Crows that really did it for me. Love that girl. And uh, I kind of. Uh, started going into more bands of that type from that point on, but uh, now I've always liked music. Wow, okay. So it's like sort of a, uh, a lifetime thing for you. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's something you, you, you grow up with, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, I suppose to, today you, you probably grew up loving your iPod or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> so what, what made you decide to get into music production? Uh, I kind of fell into it. I was actually, I was at ABC Television and um, doing, I was a page and then a floor manager. And uh, I used to hang out at a, at a bar that was mainly for people in the music biz. Hmm. And um, one of the guys I met was English, owned a studio, and we got chatting and he said, you know, come along, which I did. And um, so uh, I was getting bored with the TV thing and said, the hell with it, I'll go do this. He asked me to come in and start. He'll train me as an engineer, which he did. So wow. that's what I started doing. Wow. And it kind of went on from there. Wow, interesting. So you sort of phased out of television and, and, uh, yeah. and got more it into was, the... It was, it was highly political, and I was, you know, was just, I thought... Um, uh, albeit that all of showbiz is highly political, but uh, going into a, an independent studio was far less so. How did you get to the UK? Uh, I was um, 21, thought the world was passing me by, and uh, I thought it would be nice if I went to 
uh, see Europe for five or six weeks, and um, went. It had every intention of coming back after that time, uh, but took the uh, the notion with me that perhaps I could work there a little because I didn't have much bread mm-hmm. and work for a couple of three weeks and um, uh, and you know while I was seeing England and the rest of Europe and uh, so I, I made as many contacts as I could from the guys here in town and uh, took demos with me that I hadn't done <laughs> and um, got there and when I you know one of the first places I, in fact the first place I walked into was Decca. And uh, I uh, related a whole bunch of hits that I hadn't done and played them a couple of demos, <laughs> which happened to be uh, the, the two demos I brought with me were, were from my friend Nick Vinay at Capitol, mm. and uh, they were the Beach Boys and Lou Rawls. So he said, that's terrific, you start today. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, and by the time they found out it was all a bunch of uh, crapola, I really had a hit, so <laughs> that was it. Now, when you played those those records that you claimed uh, to have been involved with, did 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 Nick back you up when they called? Oh or? yeah, I don't know. Nick gave them to me. He said, "Yeah, help <laughs> yourself." You know, um, tell them tell them whatever you like. Tell them they're yours. I said, "Great." You know, uh, and as it happens, I mean, uh, I returned the favor, but didn't find that out for for twenty years afterwards. <laughs> was uh, that I wrote Nick or called Nick? I can't remember which. And said, I told him about a, a band that he really ought to listen to called the Beatles. And uh, he ran to Capitol, to the head of Capitol, and that's how the Capitol wound up with the, the Beatles records. Wow! Uh, and uh, which I, I didn't, I didn't find out until twenty years later because he never told me. Wow, that's 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 pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, Nineteen sixty-two is a pretty exciting time to be in in England. Uh, musically, well, it, it was it was the transition year. I think from uh, it was just the beginning of swinging London. Uh, it, it hadn't quite started the swing yet, but mm. it uh, it did a few months. It started a few months later, so I got there right at the beginning. Yeah, that was a great timing on your part. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, timing is everything, isn't it? Uh, one of the first artists that you wound up uh, uh, working with over there and discovering well, was I, when I got to Decca. They, they basically the, the first artist they gave me was was uh, a, an Irish band of three harmonica players called the Bachelors. Mm. And you know, in retrospect, I think maybe they were testing me because uh, <laughs> these guys were just harmonica players and they didn't sing. So I had them up at my tiny little flat for about five or six weeks rehearsing them. And telling who who to sing where and all that kind of stuff, and um, so we finally we, we went and did this, and they were doing what I, I'd have to call pseudo country. You know, this is I'm, I'm fresh in the states, and I you know not that I'm any expert in country music, but I I know it a hell of a lot better than most of the Brits do. <laughs> and uh, and this was was really bugging me. I was listening to this garbage. So, anyways, I I said, okay, fine, I'm. I'm 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 uh, I'm here. I will do it. I will go in. Uh, I uh, we did four sides in you know three hour sessions. It was normal then. Uh-huh. And um, and the I did a, 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 a an old song that they did called Charmaine, and it became a huge hit. Charmaine, I wonder why you. Charmaine, I'm Charmaine, 
cries in vain. Cries in vain. Took me, I think, like 15 or 20 minutes to do the track. So wow, amazing. So you had a hit right out of the box. Yeah, I did. Now, how soon after this did you come to discover the kinks? Uh, about a year later, I think. Maybe not quite that. I, I was actually in uh, Denmark Street, which is where all the music publishers were. I had, I had some friends there. I was uh, at a at a publisher's, uh, standing in the, in the hallway, I was about to go have lunch with somebody, and one of the Kinks managers walked in with uh, a demo, and he said, uh, they were the Ravens at that point, he said, anybody here would be interested in listening to this? I said, sure, I'm here, I'll listen to it. And uh, liked a lot of, of what I heard a lot, and um, uh, took him into pie, because by this time I decided that... that uh, I was expanding my horizon. I was, I think, the first independent producer in England. I'm pretty sure I was. And um, uh, by this time, Decca had already turned down two artists on me that I thought I should be doing, which were uh, Manfred Mann and Georgie Thames. So I thought, you know, it's about time I I moved out and got got other stuff going. So wow. I took him in the pie and like that. So that uh, the fact that you had you you brought these artists uh, Georgie Fame and Manfred Mann to Decca and they turned down you know turned them down that's what motivated you to go independent. Yes. Well, no, I was in, I, I I told Dick Rowe from uh, minute number one that I was an independent producer I from see. America. He was very pro-American, and the reason I did that was because I had I had found out before I went anywhere that that. Uh, Everybody in England as a producer was was strictly on a weekly salary, which was not particularly generous, uh, with no royalties. And I said, uh, "I am an independent producer; that's, therefore, I get royalties." Yeah, that that was that was pretty smart, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was brash, and I and I, and I didn't care because uh, uh, I thought I was going back to uh, L.A. shortly, anyways. It didn't matter so do you remember what the demo was from the uh, the ravens that that you heard do you remember what the song was it, it, no there was about oh eight or nine songs on it uh okay uh, uh most of which i never used but a couple i did and i can't remember exactly which ones they were uh as a matter of fact that when when we first went in uh they didn't have a drummer they, they uh, at that point Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just I got Bobby Graham to come and do the drumming. It wasn't until after that uh, I got Mick Avery into uh, into the band. And one of the uh, early recordings that you had done with them, you really got me, which was just an incredibly dynamic record. Pretty much, I would say you're capturing a, a very live feeling in the studio. Well, that's what I always went for. Was was that, and also I uh, had spent a lot of time when I was doing my engineering, getting better and better sounds, or trying to, and, and doing, I did a lot of work in isolation of instruments and how to uh, get more out of uh, out of drums and out of bass and miking and all that kind of stuff. So I, I brought all that with me. Uh, but I always liked the live, I wanted to get a live sound, not a, not a, a obvious studio sound. <laughs> Yeah, you really got me now. 
I would say very common in those records that you did at that era. I mean, there's something that's there's a common thread of, of excitement and live feel. Well, I'm, I'm glad it came through because that's certainly what I was after. And uh, at that point in time, the English uh, recording situation was what they would they would call in England is very polite. Mm-hmm. It was um, it, it it was you know technically nice, but it was not particularly exciting. The records, early records you made with the Kinks, basically got you over to uh, into the Who camp. Well, I think because of the Kinks, that that the the Who managers sought me out to uh, come and listen to the Who, and which I did. And I mean, that's yeah. So yes, it's because of the Kinks that, that the, the Who found me, right? Yeah, and you went to see them in a, in a church hall. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and now, now what was it like to see the Who back then? Well, they, they were, I mean, I, I think I've said this before in print, but uh, it took me about 30 seconds to uh, realize this is the, the, the best uh, rock band I've actually I heard in, in, in England at that point. They were exciting, and they could play well, and uh, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it was a no-brainer as far as I was concerned. And then there were some demos that were brought to you that, that Pete Townsend did? Uh, well, the, the, the first one was I Can't Explain, which is about a you know, minute and ten second demo when I heard it. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked with them on uh, lengthening it. I mean, it, it was never real long. It was about 2.20, 2.30, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, put in a couple of solos and like that. <laughs> Happy League is backing vocals because they weren't doing backing vocals at that time, but it, it sure uh, spurred them on to, do, to learning how to do them. Mm. And the Ivy Leagues were uh, uh, an artist that was in the UK Ivy at League the was time. Ready was a yeah a, a three guy uh, vocal band in England who had who had a hit. Wow! They were doing they're doing backing vocals also. And they're doing the backing vocals on on Can't Explain. I can't explain. Yeah. Yeah. Now again, it's it's. I read somewhere that that uh, Pete Townsend was trying to write sort of like a Kink style song. Yeah, uh, that's in terms I, of the I've riff. Read the same stuff. You know, that's probably it's probably true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the the interesting thing is that you produced both records. You produced. You really got me. And can't explain they sound sonically they sound different but they're both incredibly dynamic and exciting well, sounding like, like records I said, it's what, it's, you know what what i i hear what i'm hearing what i went for uh so i suppose in that case you will you will hear similarities yes yeah now what was it like working with them in the in the studio in these uh, early days with the who with the who yeah who were great no i've never had never had a problem with them i in fact it's very seldom I've ever had a problem with with uh, a band or a musician. 
musician or whatever, because I have great respect for bands and musicians. Mm-hmm. My my problems have always been with management. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that seems to be uh, a common thing I hear a lot is uh, mm. the people who surround the artists tend to uh, complicate matters more. Uh, yeah, you can certainly say that. That's, that's a fact. Yeah. Did, did you have tensions with Lambert and, and Stamp? Or? Well, ma- mainly Lambert. Stamp was virtually a no-show. Uh, <laughs> Lambert, many problems. I guess maybe it was a, a control issue. Oh, uh, he was a control freak, among other things. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I mean, I, I'm not saying anything that anybody doesn't know, he was uh, extremely gay mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and got to the point of, of uh, apparently believing that I was having too much influence with his boys, quote-unquote. So, oh, boy. You know, that was part of the whole uh, situation that developed. People try to put us to death Talking about my generation Just because we get around Talking about my generation Things they do look awful you went on to produce uh, the first album, The Who Sing My Generation. Yep. Very, very, very exciting record. Amazing songs on that record. But that's pretty much the only thing you did with them. Well, that's, that's yeah. because I, I was... Uh quote-unquote, dismissed. But the letter in the mail saying your service is no longer required, which is at which point I said I don't think so, and I sued, and of course won, right. but uh, I never got a chance to record him again, which is unfortunate. Now it's a legal matter, baby You got me on the run It's a legal matter, baby A legal matter from now and also, the records soon after weren't as exciting or dynamic. I think it took a while for them to find their well, I, footing. John, you're not the first person to say that. I mean, that's that. Uh, uh, yes, I agree, but I think that's for other people to say rather than me. <laughs> yeah, although, I mean, it must have been... I mean, you were around two of Britain's greatest writers at the time, uh, uh, Ray Davies well, and, and, and Pete and, Townsend. And which I consider myself extremely fortunate, because uh, as far as I'm concerned, everything starts with the song, and I, had, and I really had two of the best writers of all time in the rock business. Also, when you recorded the uh, uh, Can't Explain, was, was it, in fact, turned down in the UK at, at DECA? No, it was turned down in, by British DECA. Uh, British DECA, yes. Yeah, no, I took it to American DECA, who is a separate company, although they, once upon a time, were connected, mm. <clears throat> and sold it to them, which was uh, actually turned out to be quite ironic, because, of course, American DECA still had a distribution uh, contract with the English DECA, so they had to put the record out. And also, I read somewhere that uh, when you recorded the follow-up to Can't Explain Anyway, Anyhow, Anywhere... Mm-hmm. And you sent it off to them. It was uh, yeah. That's they. they I, this, this is the first record, to my knowledge, that had feedback on it, mm-hmm. uh, which was difficult to record with the gear at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I got a, a, a telegram back saying you think we think you sent us the wrong uh, track because there's all these strange noises on it. So <laughs> I, I had to assure them this is the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> Thank you. 
was also a lot of feedback as well, I think, on those early Kinks records, too. Not all of them, but on some of them, uh, uh, which, which I think... It, well, it, it, the main thing, I think, that was not so much feedback, but the one thing I did with some of the early Kinks records is, see, my friends, to my knowledge, is the first record out there that had a sitar sound on it. It wasn't actually an actual sitar because we didn't know anybody who played sitar. So mm. we tuned the guitar down and I double-tracked it and it sounded like a sitar. Wow. Uh, and that certainly preceded uh, Norwegian Wood and, all, and stuff like that. So that was fun. That was a first, yeah. Now, also, you had working with you, you had Jimmy Page as a session man, right. and uh, and Nicky Hopkins, Hopkins as well. Yeah. And they're on a lot of those records, for the, the artists you worked with. They are, mainly as, uh, I mean, Jimmy generally only played uh, rhythm for me. I just, I was very comfortable having him there just in case, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what he did, is play, you know, rhythm guitar. Yeah. Uh, or, unless I was doing, you know, a band that didn't that wasn't a band, you know, and it's employing musicians. And Nicky was was back up on lots of stuff, and he actually became a regular with uh, the Who and with a lot of other people. And he's just a phenomenal uh, piano player. So yeah, he was great. Yeah, he was great. And and, and a very and a very nice guy along with it. He's a session man, a chord progression. And you went on to produce uh, uh, his first solo album. I, I did, yeah, which which was fun for, you know, for CBS. It was like a, an orchestral album, mm-hmm. which uh, actually I heard not all that long ago. It sounds pretty damn good. I was surprised. <laughs> Was Jimmy Page playing on both Kinks and Who records, or just sporadically? Or? Uh, he didn't play. Let me think. What did he do? He played on the Kinks album. He played uh, rhythm because um, uh, Ray didn't want to play guitar. He wanted to concentrate on singing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I used uh, certainly used Jimmy on uh, uh, as, as the rhythm guitar on I Can't Explain and you know, and. I think that's really about all I ever used him on for the for the Who, but I used him on lots of other stuff. Was there any sense then that uh, he was going to go on to become the Jimmy Page that we all know and and well, love? Well, I mean, he was he was so good. It was you know, I guess in the cards. Sure, yeah. I that that I no, I had no inkling he was going to go on to where he got, but uh, he certainly made the most of everything. Yeah, that's for sure. He plays on a lot of. Uh, diverse recordings too. I mean, he was he was playing yeah. with Mickey no, Most, I believe. Terrific too. guitarist. Now, um, some other artists that you worked with. I mean, great great songs. Really important rock and roll records. But for instance, the Easy Beats. You did Friday on My Mind, which is right their yeah. their best known track. I love Friday on my mind. 
what, what was that experience like? Well, again, I got, you know, I'm fine with the band. I got screwed by the management, basically. <laughs> um, uh, no, they, they came over, and they again sought me out. They came over from Australia. Uh, I didn't, when, when I first heard them, I liked them. I didn't particularly care for the material. I had them writing stuff, and they used to come up and visit me once a week, and with what they'd written, and I finally, when I heard Fred and I said, "Okay, this this is the one, so let's go do it." You seem to have an ear of which was the track that was going to cut through. Uh, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I suppose it's that's it's reasonable to say that I I I was I always kind of considered myself part of the the listening public. So um, <laughs> if, if you know I like something, I thought there's a good chance that maybe the public would like it. So yeah. Went. You were a fan, basically. You were a fan I of music. Fan. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was a fan. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of great musicians. Mm. And you definitely worked with a lot of them through the years. Yeah, certainly have. Yeah. Now, another uh, artist, uh, The Creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, creation were uh, one of my very favorite bands. Uh, Eddie Phillips is probably the best, by far, unknown guitarist that hardly anybody knows. Mm. He, he was a... Well, he's still, still around. He's still playing gigs. He's a wonderful guitarist. Mm. Uh, very creative. Lots of... Um, he was asked to join The Who, and he didn't, which I think he re- regrets these days. Wow. And um, he was re- asked to join a whole bunch of other bands and uh, and didn't. And the creation were on the verge of becoming huge superstars, and I could not hold them together. The, the two, he and... The lead singer hated each other, and they just broke up. Oh, that boy. the end of that, That's unfortunately. Making time, shooting the line, for people to believe in, things you say, gone in a day. I think it was Making Time was in Rushmore. Yes, a few it, years it ago. was, and, and another one as well. I forget which one. They had, no, they had two songs in there. As a matter of fact, a lot of the creation stuff has been used for commercials and in films and all kinds of stuff in the last uh, bunch of years. There's, and there's, I, we still, there, one of their songs is in something that has been in something every year for, for years and years and years. Yeah, so I guess it took a, it took a while to uh, for people to catch on to the creation. Well, it's because they broke up so early. They, yeah, they only have ever become uh, a cult band. Just, you know, people who who really like good bands, and they were a terrific band. Mm. Uh, like their know, like know the creation, but um, they certainly never reached their potential. And you know, it's 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 interesting that you know there's a there's a thread through these uh, again uh, these artists and. Uh, I've always thought, you know, listening to these records and seeing your name on the on the album jackets and CD covers and things, I thought to myself, it's it. it there was a technique uh, to how you went about uh, recording these artists, and and, and I, I was thinking about it. It's almost really like, tell me what it was. <laughs> I like to know <laughs> what is the technique. <laughs> well, it's almost you seem to have had this ability of of capturing lightning in a bottle, you know, uh-huh. and and it sounds like. To me, I always thought you were recording the artists live in the studio with either as few microphones as possible or as many. I'm not too sure. But it seems like the limitations of the technology at the time almost added to the, uh, 
to the process. Well, you're, you're, you're right up to a point. I feel a little bit of both, actually. I, I actually brought with me uh, miking drums with about a dozen mics when I got there and started doing that. People said, you can't do that little phase. And I said, well, that's the way it is. You know, you should listen, you know. And three months later, everybody was using a dozen mics. So, mm. uh, uh, so I did that. I, the, I did mic what I, where I thought they should work, and you know, of course, I said I'd, I'd done a lot of work as an engineer on trying to, to get the best possible sounds with uh, where to mic it, how to mic it, with which mics, and isolation, and all that kind of stuff. So it it, it wasn't just trial and error, right? And um, and yes, I certainly was going for you know, as I said, the live sound. Yeah, uh, and uh, and I did record everybody at the same time, not in not one instrument at a time, which uh, I know is they, a lot of producers like doing. I'm not one of them. Comparing your style of uh, recording an artist from the, the 60s compared to the 70s, 80s, and beyond, where it became... Mm multi-tracking, uh, punching in the bass line, uh, you know, yeah. basically taking hours and hours to get a drum sound. I mean, th- this is pretty yeah. much not well, at all. Well, it kind of rings all the emotion and all the, the feel out of the song to do that, so yeah. that's why I never did it. You know, you're again, you're known for a lot of hard rock that you recorded, but also you had, there was some lighter stuff that you did. No, I, um, I did a bunch of uh, folk and jazz, or, I mean, I did, you know, the Pentangle, which... Which uh, I still believe is the, the best folk slash jazz group that there ever was. I really I think they were fabulous. I did Chad and Jeremy and. Uh, and Bert Jantz as well. I'm sorry, who? Bert Jantz. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, Bert, yeah, was part of Pentangle. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, Manfred Mann, of course, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Amen Corner, and I did a bunch of different things. Yeah, as well as working with David Bowie very, very early on in his career. Yes. Well, I, you know, I, I actually Bowie was brought to me by somebody I knew at 17, and I mean, I. I, I thought at the time he was going to be a huge star, but uh, we were about six years ahead of the market, I'm afraid, because things I did with him just were not saleable at that time. But about five or six years later, when he finally scored, there was exactly what we were doing you know, six years previously. Yeah. You know, one, of those, one of those things that I got my timing wrong. This was also the time, I think, where he was going by the name David Jones. Yes, he was. He was David Jones at that time. But had to change his name because of David Jones and the yeah, Monkees. Yeah, because of the Monkees. Right? <laughs> you stopped recording sometime around uh, or producing sometime in the in the 70s? Yeah, I got bored with it. I started doing a lot of other stuff. I had other companies in music. I'd rather in book publishing. I had, I had uh, other things going. And uh, 
and then, you know, in retrospect, I'm kind of sorry I did, but mm. uh, the, I had a lot. I had too many interests, and I was indulging them. Did you, did you ever hear artists later on, maybe in the late '70s, that you say, "Boy, I wish I got a chance to work with them"? Or did you ever have oh, those kind of moments? There's, you know, there's a bunch of artists I wish I'd had the, the opportunity to work with, and and you know, maybe if I again had been in the right place at the right time, I would have, or had been more aggressive about doing it, I would have. But you know, it didn't happen that way. So yeah, yeah. That's really, you know, I wanted to just to circle back to one other thing. There, you know, you were with the Kinks for a pretty long time. I mean, uh, up until the Something Else album, and uh, well, I think the last thing I did was Waterloo Sunset. Waterloo Sunset, which is, you know, one of Ray's greatest songs. And right. Dirty old river must you keep rolling, flowing into the night. Sonically, a different approach, you know, in terms of your production style but well, not necessarily because it, you know I, it, as you pointed out I, I did lots of other stuff so mm-hmm. my background is not just hard rock or right rock. right and you know I, I try to uh, do a track depending on what the track was you know and not you know, not uh, have it all sound exactly the same so you know it was always different I approached it as the song was you know, preeminent, and you know, we take it from there. Every day I look at the world from my window. But chilly, chilly is the evening time. Waterloo sunset time. Definitely, there's a lot of uh, diversity and. Especially, I mean, it, it, the the kinks were evolving, and and the recording technique was even, seemed to be evolving with it. Yeah, true. Yeah. Well, I think uh, we're pretty much done, Shell. Okay. I, <laughs> Great. I wanted to uh, thank you for for taking the time to chat with us and, and sharing your experiences, and and thanks for all the really great, exciting music through the years. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Four twenty one.